Hi! Hey, welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, and those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm K. Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? That question led me into a deep dive into the history of Christianity, the history of the Bible, why some churches worshipped one way and other churches worshipped a different way, and why some denominations believed different things, and where it all came from, and how I fit into that whole big scheme. Well, it was then, in that deep dive into history, that I encountered the Catholic Church. And it was then that I realized that what I thought Catholics believed, what I thought I knew about Catholicism, was based in large part on misunderstanding and misinformation. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap. The gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. And guys, I gotta tell you, this episode, electric. Just incredible. I'm joined by convert Kenny Burchard. Kenny was a pastor for 20 plus years charismatic Pentecostal who heard the calling of God and followed that into the Catholic Church. It's an incredible story I'm so pleased to bring to you this week. You're going to love it. It's truly the journey of somebody listening to the Holy Spirit and hearing that Holy Spirit, hearing God call them into full communion with the Catholic Church and the riches of that experience. I gotta tell you guys, before this episode even begins, before we're we're even two minutes into the thing, I want to tell you if you or a friend you know, or somebody that you know, a family member, whoever it might be, is is looking for the Holy Spirit. Maybe they are totally bonkers. They think the church is totally crazy. The Catholics are insane. But they want to listen to the Holy Spirit. This episode is a fantastic one to share with them. I really truly feel, guys, and I, my Pentecostal roots are coming out here for sure, that this is the thing that people should hear. It's a great conversation. And really, here's somebody who really hadn't thought of the Catholic Church as really a live option, and suddenly, well, there it was, calling him in. It's a great conversation. This conversation and all others on this show are brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic. I have a new patron to thank this week. Thank you to Mike for your support of the show. You guys are fantastic. Your support underpins this thing and keeps it going and keeps it growing. Those who can give $5 or more a month are entered automatically into draws for free books every single week. A couple more things. We have a YouTube channel you should check out too. YouTube.com slash the Cordial Catholic to watch this episode. And do consider our newsletter as well. Newsletter.thecordialcatholic.com weekly Newsletter, no spam, I promise, and check that out too. Guys, without any further ado, here's my fantastic conversation with Kenny Burchard, a pastor who heard the Holy Spirit and followed it into the arms of the Catholic Church. Great conversation, you're going to love this. Please listen and enjoy.
Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being here. What we have in store for you tonight is a fantastic episode. I can't tell you enough. Uh, let me bring the guest in first and I will give you a little uh, a peek into what's going to unfold here because it's going to be fabulous, guys. I'm joined by Kenny Burchard. He came into full communion with the Catholic Church in April of 2019, along with his wife, Mary Jo, and their son, Victor. Kenny spent 33 years as a Protestant evangelical in the Pentecostal and charismatic traditions. And for 20 of those 33 years, he served in full-time vocational pastoral work in three churches, including serving as senior and founding pastor of their church in Central California from 2001 to 2013. He's currently the executive director of the Community Hospital Foundation in Virginia. And during his time as senior pastor, Kenny was ordained in the Foursquare denomination, where he served as a church planting coach, helping start other Foursquare churches. He has a master's degree in New Testament from the Mennonite Brethren Biblical Seminary in Central California, and has been a theological blogger for thinktheology.org since 2013. He recently joined the Coming Home Network as a host and moderator of the fantastic CHN online community, and he will be, or already has, shared his story, along with his wife, Mary Jo, on the journey home on EWTN, uh, a, a popular favorite of many of the guests on, my sh- on, on this show, myself included, so, so fantastic. Kenny, thank you for being here. Welcome to the show and hello. Hello. Thank you so much, Keith. What a what an honor. What a uh, just a great joy to be with you. And I've enjoyed the last few days of uh, just getting caught up on what you do, watching your show. And I just love it. I think it's just a terrific uh, ministry that you have. And I, I'm personally edified by it and just so grateful to be here with you tonight. Geez. Well, well, thank you. And I think, I think our pastor in our crossing for a reason here, Kenny, I got to tell you and listeners this. So I've been doing this show for, for, for two years. And one of the nice things about getting this show established as, as a brand and as a thing out there is that I don't normally have to go searching for guests anymore. I get, I have a very full calendar usually, and I have people emailing me saying, Hey, I got a guest for you. How about this? Or check this book out. And, and, and some are good fits and some are not good fits. And I mean, it's, it's nice. I love it having a very full calendar, but for whatever reason I had this week when we're talking here, just empty, vacant, and I'm not used to that. And I need to keep these <laughs> things going. So I have a show to, to put out there every week. And so it was strange. And so I, I, I prayed and I, and I prayed and, and I prayed a bit more. And then I reached out to a few <laughs> different friends and said, Hey guys, I need a guest. Like what, what, what can I do? And at the 11th hour, I got an, a, a message from uh, Matt Swain from the Coming Home Network and said, hey, I got this guy called Kenny you should talk to. And so I, <laughs> I, I wrote you back and you enthusiastically said, yes, you know, this seems cool. Let's do this. And sent me a copy of your, uh, your kind of a small little conversion story you tell on, on YouTube. Now, 16,000 right. views or more on that video. So, <laughs> so pretty popular. And Kenny, I watched it, and I got to tell you, this I think is our shared charismatic uh, past uh, intermingling here. I felt sure. electrified, Kenny, watching your conversion story. It just really lit me mm. up, and I felt so in, in sync with it because you used a lot of the language that I use on this show. You expressed a lot of the things that, that you began learning about the Catholic Church and, and realizing these things that I realized too, that, that we thought we knew about Catholics. You know, we, we'd... Make these assumptions, right. and and so your story and and this show, I, 
are, are very much in tandem. And really, you, you, Kenny, are an answer to prayer of me praying that God would send me a guest. I had an empty schedule. And so I really feel like this meeting is divinely ordained and you're here for a reason. I had no guest for a reason. So I am very excited to, to welcome wow. you and to, <laughs> and to dig into your story because something is going on here that I think that I think viewers, listeners are, are about to see. And I think some magic, some Holy Spirit magic here is going <laughs> to come That's out. That's awesome. Account. So I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty Pentecostal right now. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I, I I do worry when I have Pentecostal guests on the show. Uh, we get a little bit we get a little bit going here. So so we'll see how this goes. Um, you have such a fascinating story from the small clip that I saw. Gosh, really blew me away. And so I hmm. want to begin at the beginning, if we can, as far back as you can go. Sure. Um, because you look more than thirty three. I'll be honest. You say you've been a Christian. Oh, I'm, I'm a Christian, more than 33. A Christian for 33 <laughs> years. So I wonder, I became evangelical Christian out of a kind of a nominal household at the age of 15 or so. So I'm curious to see how intertwined our stories are. So why don't you yeah. kind of take us back to where the faith began for you uh, and we'll work our way towards the, the Catholic Church as we do here. You bet. Yeah, that, no, that's good. Yes, I am older than 33. <laughs> I don't dye my hair gray. It's it's naturally gray now, but um, but it wasn't always. But uh, yeah, I I um, I became a Christian when I was sixteen, almost seventeen years old, um, in Salt Lake City, Utah. Interestingly, my my the summer before my senior year of high school, I graduated in nineteen eighty seven, and I was growing up in in Salt Lake City. Uh, and I did not come from a religious family at all. Uh, my my family kind of made fun of religious people. Uh, uh, my mom, I would say, was probably uh, a, a spiritual eclectic. She was she was very open to lots of spiritual things. Had a background in Catholicism when she was a little kid, but it wasn't something that that she stuck with as she got older. My dad, not a religious guy at all, and so I wasn't raised in a Christian home. But my parents did give me a Bible, interestingly, for my eighth Easter. On on Easter Sunday, when I was eight years old, there was a little white gift and award Bible in my Easter basket, which was kind of shocking, you know, not growing up in a in a Christian home. But I, I remember taking that Bible out of the Easter basket and it's, you know, got the gold letters, Holy Bible on the front of it. And I just felt like, well, what, what is this book? You know? And I remember asking my mom, what is, what's in here? Like, what is it? And she said, the Bible is a religious book written by men in order to control the world through religion. <laughs> like, Happy Easter, right? Oh. <laughs> uh, okay. But I still thought, well, this has got to be a special book. You know, I've, I've heard about the Bible. I'm just a little kid. And like a lot of people, I would just kind of pick up the Bible and, and read it and get to about the fourth or fifth chapter of Genesis and get overwhelmed and close it. Would do that over and over for years. And I didn't really understand um, Christian things. I didn't really understand um you know, Christianity. Uh, and then we moved to Utah when I was nine years old. And as you can imagine, now I'm kind of dropped down into a culture uh, with Mormonism yeah. in, in a culture where we're talking about God and Jesus and, and holy books and church and all that becomes normal. And all my friends are very, you know, involved in their, in their, in their religious life. 
And so I started getting really curious about it when I was growing up in Utah, uh, all the way up until when I got into high school, started dating um, a Mormon girl. Um, and they get you with the, Mor- the pretty Mormon girls and the chocolate chip <laughs> cookies, man. That, that's how they get you. And so she was shocked that I wasn't a Mormon. Know, and start you know immediately had me come over and talk to the Mormon missionaries. And at the time I was also taking martial arts from a guy who said he was a born-again Christian. And he said, Hey, no, we need to talk here about what you know what your what your girlfriend's talking to you about. So I ended up in a real conflict <laughs> when I was a teenager between what my Mormon girlfriend was telling me and what my karate teacher, born-again Christian, was telling me, and just kind of was in a crisis. And of course, my parents were, were watching everything that was happening with me as well. And um, so my, my junior and summer before my senior year was kind of swirling and swimming in, in a, a pursuit of God, God pursuing me, me pursuing God. And in Salt Lake City, uh, on the 24th of July, it's called Pioneer Day. It's kind of a, like a Mormon holiday or a Utah holiday. And I decided I'll go downtown to the Salt Lake Temple, the Mormon Temple, walk around and talk to people and try to get some of my questions answered. So I went there and, you know, walked around a little bit. And then I walked off of the, the grounds of the temple in Salt Lake City and walked right into a march for Jesus. You know, this is, this is the thing that was being done in the 80s and, and 90s a march for Jesus. And I mean, all of these youth with a mission missionaries carrying across down the streets of Salt Lake city, talking to people about Jesus. And one of them turns to me and says, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm, I'm looking for God. You know? <laughs> I, 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 and, and so he shared, you know, what, what we as evangelical Protestants would, would um, understand to be a simple gospel message with me there on the streets uh, of Salt Lake city. You know, John 3.16, John 3.3, 3, John 14.6, the Romans Road, all that stuff. And he wrote all these verses down for me. And he said, do you want to pray and ask Jesus, you know, into your life? And I said, I do, but I, I want to do it by myself. And two nights later, uh, on the hood of my car in front of my karate teacher's house, I just sat on the hood of my car and I said, Jesus, you know, come into my life, save me. I want to follow you forever. And my life really changed, you know, I mean, like dramatically changed that night. And, uh, you know, the whole time that I was pastoring, I would, I would talk to people about that event in my life. And I would say that was the moment that I felt not only called to be a Christian, but also that I felt this call to be in ministry, kind of all at the same time. And so I spent the next few years, I finished my senior year of high school, um, kind of f- like fighting with with my Mormon schoolmates and trying to understand Christianity. And, and then I, I joined the Navy so that I could have college money so that I could go to Bible college and study and go into pastoral ministry. But my my family thought I was crazy. You know, they thought they thought I'd gone nuts because I grew up in this non-religious home <laughs> and then just became, um, yeah, just a kind of a fireball of, of faith and, and trying to follow Jesus. And, um, and, and that, that's kind of the early stages there, you know, of, of my faith. Um, and, and like I said, I joined the Navy and, 
as soon as I got in the Navy, I started getting involved in church. The, the first year that I was a Christian, I was actually a senior in high school, and I, I my parents wouldn't allow me to go to church because they honestly they thought I was I was just um, too out there with faith. So they, they didn't actually allow me to go to church. And so I didn't get baptized until the day before I went to boot camp in 1987. <laughs> and I was baptized in the Vineyard Christian Fellowship in Salt Lake City, Utah. And that's that kind of got me into the charismatic and Pentecostal family uh, in the evangelical um, stream, right? Uh, so, so when I left home, I instantly started looking for a vineyard church and got very involved in the vineyard and found, you know, as I, as I grew up, uh, oh, there's, there's other sort of, uh, let's say twigs on the branch, other branches on the, on the bow, you know, assemblies of God, Foursquare, charismatics, non-denominational Pentecostals. And, and so I kind of ran with that crowd the first several years, um, that I was, you know, kind of a new Christian. I pause right there. I don't. I don't know if the that's a good place to interject or if that, that kind of gets me off the runway a little bit. Yeah, this is great. I'm just enjoying sitting back here listening to your story. So for the, for the listeners who might not know necessarily that kind of world, it's very charismatic, very much yes. about your experience of the faith. Mm-hmm. What would you say? Your did you have a view of the Catholic Church at all at that point, like early on? I mean, because I've been. I mean, I was. Uh, similar trajectory. I was mm-hmm. in that same kind of orbit, and I found I mean, the, most of the anti-Catholic hangups I had were were planted early on. Unfortunately, sure. in some of those kind of vineyard, yeah. I mean, airport vineyard church here in, in in Toronto near us, very popular, very famous church, very much planted some of those seeds for me more than right. the the Pentecostal assembly church that I went to on, on a regular Sunday. I should say. Well. Well, here's how that happened with me. I would say that I didn't have any anti-Catholic bias um, any more than I would have had bias against any kind of religious person, because like I said, everyone was fair game and my family growing up. So I didn't I didn't have this sort of system of how to separate religious groups up into the good ones and the bad ones. We just we just thought they were, were all crazy. And then when I became a, you know, um, a charismatic Pentecostal that happened to me. I became a Christian in Salt Lake city. So the way the, the anti-Catholic bias happened to me is that one of my survival tools in the early months and probably the first couple of years was that I would listen to the Bible answer man radio program. Um, back when Walter Martin, who's no longer alive was the host. And Walter Martin was, you know, an apologist and an evangelist. And he would, you know, argue with everybody about what was and wasn't Christianity. And I used to listen to his show every day, but I was listening to it so that I could arm myself for the fights that I was getting in every day with my Mormon friends. But as I would listen, Catholics would call in to his show and he would fight with them. And, you know, so they would, they would say, well, we believe this or we believe that. And Walter Martin would, would kind of, you know, thrash them. And, you know, when you're young in your faith, you, you trust the people who are helping you. 
So Walter Martin was helping me with with Mormonism. And so I thought very early on, well, if if he's right about the Mormons, he's got to be right about the Catholics, too. And I bought his book, uh, The Kingdom of the Cults. And there used to be a chapter in that book about the Catholic Church in which Walter Martin calls it essentially an apostate or a wayward version of Christianity that used to be Christian, but it went off the rails. And so really early, I kind of got the Walter Martin anti-Catholic flavor. But then, because like I said, I I had, uh, I, I was one of those guys that heard the gospel via street witnessing. I thought, well, I need to go street witnessing too, you know, because that's how I became a Christian. So I'm going to take up where my, you know, people w- left off with me that shared their faith with me. So I would go to the Christian bookstore and go to the tract section. You can probably imagine what I'm about to say, but I would, <laughs> so I would go to the tract section and I would like, I need, I need things to give people, right? So what do you think I got? Well, I picked up all the chick tracks, the James chick tracks about, um, you know, just different things. I mean, he's just it's just incredible what what an imagination uh, <laughs> Mr. Chick had. But there were so many Chick tracks that were anti-Catholic. Yeah. I mean, it, and so I was like, okay, Walter Martin says they're bad. The Chick track guy that I got in the Christian bookstore says they're bad. And then I was also really, really, really into Keith Green music. Keith Green, um, you yeah. know, who died in, in the early 80s. And I would subscribe to all of his newsletters and and things like that. And he had written a whole series against the Catholic Church in his last day's uh, newsletter. And I got those and I read them. And so, you know, I'm getting hit from every direction within, um, you know, sort of the the mid 80s, early 90s, North American Protestant evangelicalism is very anti-Catholic. and it's it so it became kind of a diet for me in those early days where I, I would imbibe anti-Catholicism. I also, you know, um, you you get into the the, the radio preachers, you know, the um, guys like John MacArthur and others like that that you, that I would listen to, and that there's a, a steady stream of anti-Catholicism that comes at you through there as well, and so. Even though I didn't start out as a Christian with an anti-Catholic bias, it's kind of like um, the way I talk to my wife about it. It's like hint of lime tortilla (laughs) chips, right? There's a hint of lime, and it's so so within uh, within the the again I'm I'm qualifying here the North American Protestant evangelical threads of Christianity that I was running in. There was a hint of anti-Catholicism in all of it, the flavor of uh, anti-Catholic rhetoric, anti-Catholic, you know, systematic theology, anti-Catholic apologetics. It just was always there. You could always taste it. It was was always included uh, in, in your diet and it was normal. And then of course, you know, you go to churches and half the people, you know, in the churches that I went to, used to be Catholic. Yeah. And, you know, they're all, you know, now reading their Bible and they all have stories about why the Catholic church is bad. And even some of the pastors that I, that I, uh, you know, um, went on staff with the first, the first pastor 
a senior pastor of the church where I first went on staff at an Assemblies of God church in Salt Lake City, also happened to be the church that um, sponsored the missionary team that shared Jesus with me back in 1986. I went on staff at that church later. That was the first church I went on staff on. And the pastor of that church grew up Catholic, and he was very anti-Catholic in his sermons. So, all of that to say, it was just part of my diet, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I got yeah. shaped by it. Yeah, it does. and I, I hear you completely right. It, it's yeah. it's not even overt. I mean, I can think of some of the churches that I was a part of in, in the Pentecostal movement up here in Canada, and we yeah. we wouldn't say the Lord's Prayer because that was rote repetition. Right. It was too right. rote, and the Catholics did that, right? Because the pagans did right. that. Or, or sorry, not the pagans, right. the, the, the Pharisees did that, right? And right. the link was Pharisees repeat prayers, Catholics repeat prayers, Catholics are Pharisees, right? And it wasn't necessarily that overt, but that was always in kind of the air that we breathed, right? Because right. It, it, it seemed really I heard that. I heard that many times. I probably shared it. The funniest thing in the world was about two years ago, I was watching online a sermon of the son of the pastor of the second church where I was on staff. He's now the senior pastor of the church where his dad was, was my, my boss and my pastor. And in his sermon, he was doing exactly what you're talking about there. He was doing a series on the Lord's Prayer. And his whole initial caveat at the beginning of all the teaching on the Lord's Prayer was, now look, this isn't a prayer that we say. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Well, because if you say it, then it's vain repetition, uh, and it's just babbling like the pagans. And I'm thinking, but this is the Lord's Prayer. It's not vain repetition at all. But anyway, I, I heard that more times than I can count, and I probably uh, said it myself um, to people. So, yeah, right there with you. Yeah. So, you went to seminary began began quite quickly into in, as you said into pastoral ministry so where did you go how did this take off yeah i didn't go to seminary initially um i went later when i was a senior pastor of our, our church in california the way that i got into pastoring i got out of the navy after six years i was taking classes from moody bible institute yes, yes. in um in in chicago Learning how to study the Bible, learning basic Christian theology, you know, just first and second year Bible college courses, because I really wanted to go into full-time ministry. So I got out of the Navy, and that was a whole reason I joined the Navy, was to have money to do that. Got out of the Navy, went back to Salt Lake City, started going to the church that brought the missionaries that shared Jesus with me. The pastor there found out I was in, you know, a Bible college student, started to proctor me through my classes. And after a few months, he said, why don't you just come on staff, you know, at the church? I thought, I've arrived. I've arrived. I'm now on staff at a Protestant church, you know, at a, at an, a Pentecostal church. And, and it's kind of like a, like a feather in your cap, you know, in the world that I was running in to go on staff at a church is just the greatest thing in the world. So there I was, I was, I was 24 years old. I was taking courses from Moody and my pastor invited me to go on staff with him. And uh, we were there for almost four years and I didn't finish my studies at the time, but like many Protestant churches, that church kind of fell apart and, and now doesn't exist anymore. 
And we moved to central California. Um, my wife took a job at the church that I went to when I was in the Navy stationed in central California. And I ended up on staff at that church as well. Second, second church that was part of my young life. We just plugged in there and I went on staff at that church. And after uh, almost four years of being there, massive problems, we left. We started a church in the same town, very Protestant of us, just have problems at one church, just move down the street, (laughs) open up shop. And we ran to Foursquare. When I got out of the Navy, the the first thing I did is I, I got involved in Christian radio for about a year. And I fell in love with the teaching of Jack Hayford, a four-square pastor, Pentecostal pastor. And so I got to know him over the years. And when we started our church, I thought, I want us to be a four-square church. I want our church to be affiliated with this group. And you're, you know, when you're when you're when you're a Protestant, you're looking for the people that you line up with, that you feel affinity for, yeah. that you feel connection with. Um, uh, I, I think you realize that it isn't everything, but it's the closest thing you feel like you've got to the best version of Christianity that there is. And so Foursquare is where our church landed. And we started our church and I'd been there a couple of years. And uh, my wife was then working for a university that had a seminary. Um, and they offered for me to go to seminary there for free. Uh, she worked for Fresno Pacific University and the Mennonite Brethren Biblical Seminary was was on campus there. And they said, you can come to school here and, and you can get your master's degree uh, in you know theology or counseling or Old Testament or New Testament. Well, when I was pastoring our church, um, like, you know, like a good, like a good American evangelical, I was saying, I'm going to teach the Bible, right? I'm going to just teach verse by verse through the Bible. And I really liked guys like Chuck Smith and those guys that worked through whole books. And, you know, on the, on the non-charismatic side, uh, John MacArthur, you know, verse by verse through whole books of the Bible. I started doing that. And when I went to seminary, I wanted to learn how to do that better. I wanted to become a better Bible teacher. And so I got into the New Testament program there, which I loved. And I, I will say this, the, there were moments in seminary that started popping my, you know, bursting my bubbles in terms of my preconceived notions about um, even, even anti-Catholic stuff. Um, not necessarily because what we were learning was attacking um, my anti-Catholicism, but it was it was pointing out the flaws in some of my Protestant presuppositions, as you can imagine. Um, I'd say the biggest one right out of the gate in seminary, because again, it's a New Testament program, right? So you're sitting there with the 27 books of the New Testament. And my my professor says in class one day, I think he just said it in passing, but for me, it was like a kick in the forehead. He said, now we know that there's a perfectly functioning church. There's a church that's just going. Um, and it's planting new churches, and the message of the gospel is getting out, and people are becoming Christians, and the church is spreading all over the world, and these books don't exist yet. And 
I think I always knew that. Anyone who's paused for five seconds and understands how it works that we got the Bible knows that. But it really, for whatever reason, while I was sitting in seminary, it really shocked me. I just sat there. I don't think I remember anything else my professor said. And I started doing the math, like the what ifs. Well, how, how is that possible, though? How is it possible for Christianity to flourish in the world <laughs> without there being some of these books even in existence, for one thing, without all of them being accessible to every Christian, and without complete agreement on which ones were really the Bible and which ones, which ones weren't, and for this to be going on for 300 years, you know? <laughs> so, it, it forced me, you know, about, about six or seven years into my pastoral uh, tenure at our church to question some of my own assumptions um, about the Bible and, and about how the church works and, and you know, the, the question of authority and all those things. So that was a major kind of wake-up call for me that made me think about other things. And there were others along the way. But I think bef- before I got out of seminary, studying the Bible, you know, for three years, I let go of my conviction about sola scriptura while I was in seminary. And see, right there, someone will say, I'll see you went to the wrong seminary. If if your seminary got you to give up on sola scriptura, you went to the wrong seminary. No, I, what I did is I did the math and I, I realized that the church is the soil out of which the Bible grows. And I think I had a, presupposition that it, it was flipped. Even when I was pastoring our church, I would say, well, the, the, you know, the Bible tells us how to be the church in, you know, in the pastoral letters. And so I, I kind of imagined that, well, we get the church out of the Bible instead of really understanding that the Bible comes up out of the church over time. So, Yeah, that's so funny, Kenny, because for me, I was interning at a non-denominational church with, with roots in a Pentecostal church. This is a student church, mm-hmm. just graduating university, I'm undergrad and, and interning here for a, for a summer. And, yeah. the, and the pastor asked, pulled me in his office and said to me, you know, what do you think is more important, scripture or tradition? Right? And right. that, for me, a very similar question. And I went, what do you mean? Of course, it's scripture. The Bible is always the answer, right? The Sunday school answer is the Bible or Jesus is the Bible. And he goes, well, well, who put that Bible together? Where did it come from? Right, and this right. is a similar revelation. I thought, well, where did it come? Like, you know, right? You know, as a as an evangelical Christian, where it comes from, and but you don't. Or I didn't stop to think about it. I went, right? Yeah, wait a minute. Like, what is right? How do they know what books belong there, or how do they exist before the Bible was was agreed upon? And all these questions that for me kind of began my my journey as well in that <laughs> yeah. sense, right? I mean, I wasn't in seminary, uh, right? I was not quite as learned, but. That was a question that made me go, yeah, wait a minute. Like we, right. Right. We, <laughs> and when you start, you know, at least for me, when you start uh, digging into the history, uh, and it's just one whole strand of, of Christian thought, which is the formation of the biblical canon. You can go on and on forever and talk about that. But when you, when you start to look at that and you, you, you look at it through the lens of actual history, you start reading the history, 
and you start coming up with um, with guys that have the word pope in front of their name <laughs> and bishop in front of their name and and then, and you go to where they're making decisions and they're calling these councils and you're like wait a minute popes and bishops and councils and decrees and dogmas and you're coming up with all these words that are not in the protestant lexicon unless you're talking about what's wrong with catholics right yeah. <laughs> and and but if you're reading church history and you're trying to follow the bible through its historic development there's catholics everywhere you know yeah. everywhere you look there's a catholic you know <laughs> and uh, and that was another striking fact to me, kind of in the journey uh, for me, you know, first again, that, that the, the Bible didn't come first, that the church did, and the, the Bible comes up from the church, but also the church that, that discerned and understood and decided, really, you know, defined, that's the right word, um, what the text of Scripture was and what it wasn't. These are people that are authorities in the Catholic Church. These are ordained men. These are bishops. These are men who are appointed. You know, they have an office. They're not, you know, like one of the things I heard all the time and even said it uh, when I was teaching about the authority of the Bible before all this was the Bible is self-affirming. The Bible is self-affirming. You just know what the Bible is if you have the Holy Spirit. Um, you don't need a pope and bishops and everybody to tell you what the Bible is. It's just it, it affirms itself. But when you study church history, you realize that there were lots of uh, disagreements about what the books were and what they weren't. You know, for years and years, it wasn't as easy as, oh, it's self-affirming. I think it's easy to say that when you've got the 27 books of the New Testament in front of you bound, you know, in a nice leather cover. Oh, of course, these are self-affirming. I, you know, I got them from the Christian bookstore <laughs> um, in their current, you know, exact composition. And there's just so many things I took for granted that I think my seminary education forced me to start questioning the presuppositions that I'd had all that time. And I just, you know, I, I wasn't ready to think about being a Catholic at that time, but I was reading more Catholic theology uh, by by virtue of the fact that I was um, studying the life of Jesus in the Gospels. There's just some incredible Christology, some of the best that you can get. I think the best you can get, but uh, you know, amongst Catholic um, authors, and of course, the formation of the the biblical canon and and all of this stuff to try to wrap my head around how to be a good thinker about the New Testament and about the church. I keep bumping into the Catholic church um, all, all over the place. But as I finished my seminary training in 2013, my wife and I also felt that it was time for us to let go of pastoring. She finished her, her PhD here at Regent University in organizational leadership. She had an ecclesial or a church leadership emphasis so she was studying church history. I was studying the New Testament. We both came to the conviction that we needed to stop pastoring, let go of that, and see what God had next for us. And we let go of it. We let go of everything. Um, and just we quit. We quit everything we knew and everything we were doing and moved to Virginia and started a whole new life here. And when we first moved here, we decided we wouldn't um, – 
we wouldn't join a church. Well, first of all, I didn't want to. I was kind of tired of, <laughs> I'd, I'd seen the sausage being made, you know, for, for 20 years, as they say. And I was, I was ready to kind of pull back from that. But we, we visited a lot of churches here in our town, uh, over 20 churches, including three Catholic churches, um, just to see what Jesus was doing in our city. And I started, we started doing this thing where we would exegete the worship service. We would, we would pay attention to what, what was happening, what seemed important to these people. And every time we'd go to a Catholic church, the altar was in the middle of worship. The Eucharist was in the middle of worship, you know, and in the churches I was used to, it was either the guitar player (laughs) that was in the middle or the pastor. But in the Catholic churches, it was always, you know, I'm holding up my hands like, like our priest does. It was always that cup and that bread and that altar. And I thought there's something to this, but we, we went several years here in Virginia after we, you know, got out of uh, our pastoral work and didn't really land anywhere. We started doing kind of a home fellowship group um, with some friends um, and I, I just wasn't locked down, but I remember driving around Virginia with my wife one night and we drove by a bunch of churches. There's like one after the other. And I, as we're driving by, I look at them all and I said to my wife, I don't think I could ever go back to another one of those. (laughs) One of those, you know, and I'm pointing it. And she said, yeah, I said, unless it's Catholic. And she said, I see what you mean. I thought, you do? <laughs> you see what I mean? Like, wh- really? Have you been thinking about this too? And I don't even know why I said it, but it somehow had become the only thing I could imagine getting connected with, and yet I didn't do it. That thought was just hanging there, um, probably for a couple of years. And as you saw in my you know, little... Um, story where we shared with our friends that we were becoming Catholics on the, um, on the day before my 49th birthday in 2018, we just went to the beach, you know, and, and we were hanging out and as we're coming home, this is where the Pentecostal takes over. Okay. (laughs) As we're coming home from the beach, we drive by this Catholic church in my neighborhood. And I had never seen it before, never paid attention to it, but saw it there, looked at it, and I thought, oh, there's a Catholic church. And then as soon as I had the thought, like that fast, as soon as I had the thought, oh, there's a Catholic church, I have, you know, if you're a Pentecostal watching this, you know what I'm about to say, I had a word from the Lord, you know, Um, and the word was, go to church there, go to, like, go attend church there. And I thought, wow, is that God? I, I, and, and I'll tell you, like I've, I've told many of our friends, I, I, I think I learned how to hear from the Lord, you know, in the 33 years yeah. that I was a Christian up to that point. I just, I had learned how to discern God's voice, God's leading, God's spirit, promptings from the Holy Spirit. So I knew that it was God saying, go to that Catholic church, but I didn't know why. And um, I went to Mass there and uh, 
tried to understand it, got some of it. I was trying to figure out how it worked. You know what I mean? Like, what is this and why do they do it this way? And one of my friends gave me a book to read, which I read in four days by Scott Hahn, The Lamb's Supper. And I went back the next week and in mass, I could see it. I, it made sense to me and I wanted it. But I had all of these, you know, hint of lime, <laughs> the taste of lime, you know, the taste of anti-Catholicism was still, you know, on my, on my taste buds, as it were, sticking with that, you know, that analogy. And it was hard for me to think, like, how can I, how can I entertain the idea of becoming Catholic? That was awesome. Mass was awesome. But all this other stuff, you know. How can I even think about being Catholic when I've been told and have shared myself for so many years that that's just not possible? And that, that's where I was, you know, the, it's the week before my or the week of my 49th birthday, um, just a little over, well, almost three years ago. <laughs> so the the lamb supper fantastic book i read it in two days i think actually. yeah <laughs> four days I is impressive four days. Yeah. <laughs> i actually read i read rome sweet home i had it on 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 like my kindle i read it three times in a row i couldn't believe yeah. it this is which is scott Hahn's conversion story uh, yep. for listeners and viewers right three times in a row i finished it started it again because i just couldn't believe what, yep. I was, what i was reading that this was actually true right that was back when i didn't even know people became catholic at an evangelical church i, I assumed i'd met like you'd met these former catholics in my evangelical right. churches never the other way around didn't know anyone went the other way right right so i, so I was dumbfounded to find a book all about uh, somebody who, who did that so the lamb supper for you that's of course his book about the mass and what the mass is and so I know you said too in your and your video you recorded for the friends that, that I watched, and this was for me too. We begin to understand what's happening in like the mass, what Catholics are doing in yes. in a mass, and it yes. really, it, gosh, it fundamentally just changes your perspective on the yeah. whole thing, right? Yes, yeah, and you know, um, one of my favorite books in seminary, I mean, in a New Testament program, you have to you have to go th work through all the texts of the New Testament. Probably my favorite or one of my favorite um, book studies in seminary was through the book of Revelation. And, you know, in a Protestant evangelical context, you're typically reading Revelation, trying to decode yeah. the future, uh, trying to find the Antichrist who's you know never mentioned by name in there somehow, but, but somehow it's about him. Or trying to find the second coming, and you keep finding lots of second comings in there. But you're, you're trying as hard as you can to use that book to decode future events. Well, the way that Scott Hahn puts it together is the mass is mirroring heavenly worship. So I went back and read the book of Revelation and saw it, you know, through a liturgical lens. I, I had never seen it before. It's like my glasses, you know, right now. I, I put them on and things that were always right there, as clear as could be, weren't clear to my eyes. And so the Lamb's Supper really helped me to, to see uh, the, the apocalypse, the revealing of Jesus uh, to his people in a, in a Catholic uh, understanding of that. He is 
made present to his people as they gather around his throne. And that's done 365 days a year all over the world and has been being done for 2,000 years. You know, uh, worship around the throne of God has has been happening um, uh, by God's people with the holy ones in the heavenly places for 2,000 years. So the Pentecostal, that kind of stuff was really exciting for me um, because you know, in in our um, in our formation as Pentecostals, we're encouraged to be open to the Holy Spirit, to be open to God invading, if you want to use that language, our world with with the supernatural, with His presence, with His power, those kinds of things. And you're always looking for it. You're longing for it. You know, you mentioned before we got started, or maybe we we were already talking about the the vineyard, you know, in Canada, the airport vineyard there, that, that season of history is an, uh, is an, uh, um, a chapter of people going to try to see God for real yeah. in their world. Yeah. Right. And so for me, when I can, when I saw that the Catholic mass, like no other worship experience I'd ever been part of was truly an overlap you know, uh, an answer to the prayer that we pray, the Lord's prayer, uh, that your kingdom will come on earth as in heaven. When I began to see that the mass was and is the answer to that prayer, that Jesus really is coming uh, into his church, really, really, really. And he is drawing us up into the heavenly places in, in the mass. And, um, I was looking for, you know, my, my whole Christian life, looking for, well, who really believes that? And who really does that? And who gets that? And, and the answer is the Catholic Church, you know, which doesn't mean that every Catholic gets it. You know, because someone, someone might be watching this and go, I, I know Catholics and they're, they seem bored, you know, with, with church. Or, or there might be a Catholic listening now. It's like, I don't, I never felt all that when I was going to Mass. And again, it's. Sometimes the, fam- uh, the familiarity breeds contempt, or uh, or or you know the familiar becomes um, invisible to us. But for me, coming from the outside into it, and maybe bringing some Pentecostal openness um, with me into the mix, and 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 the Lamb Supper lenses, I I got caught up into. You know, you talk about the word rapture, you know, <laughs> I got caught up into the, the presence of the Lord in the mass in ways that I just never was able to um, in, you know, in my previous uh, years uh, in, in our Pentecostal tradition, even though, we, you know, feel close to the Lord experience his presence in powerful dynamic ways and in lots of ways. But now we're talking about the fullness, right? Yeah, not just, yeah. not just tastes, but, but the fullness. So I, I had an, a fellow Pentecostal, uh, Father Ed Caswell, who's the spirit general at uh, St. John Cantus in Chicago, right, right beside Moody down there. Uh, he was, was raised Pentecostal as his family became mm-hmm. Catholic. His mom was a politician out in, in Saskatchewan, up here in Canada. And 
he expressed this so well, what you're saying here. He said that we always, we, we sang these songs about wanting more of Jesus and of wanting more right. of that. We had these experiences in the charismatic churches of, of more of Jesus and these really emotional, heartfelt, we, we, that's the thing we longed for, right? was more of Christ. It's, it's all in our worship songs, yeah. isn't it? I long yeah. for you. Yeah. I want to see your presence. Right. And we, you know, it's, it's the openness to, yeah. to Christ, right? When I told my wife about your story briefly, I said how you had had this, this locution, this, this word from the Lord to go. And she goes, well, he's a Pentecostal. He was in tune with the spirit. There you go. Right. <laughs> and, and we laugh because it's true. But what we, yeah. what, what he said was what we long for is, right. is fulfilled in the mass and nowhere else. Exactly. Right. That more of Jesus, like what more can we long for than, than that, that, that literal taste of heaven this exactly. side of, of earth, right? That's what we were all longing for. And here yes. it is, right? Yeah. Some, um, a few weeks ago, my wife and I were sitting on the, on the couch, listening to music that we loved, you know, from our, from our days and in, in uh, our, you know, our previous life as, <laughs> as, as Protestant evangelicals. And we, we still love all that music, but one of the guys we really loved was, was Michael Card. Um, and he has this song, I can't remember the title of it, but it's either in the now or to know you in the now, but in the, in the chorus, it says, uh, how I long to see your presence in reality, but I don't know how <laughs> let me know you in the now. And we hear Michael card, you know, singing that song as we're listening to it in the living room and we just look at each other and tears start coming down our face. And we say, he needs the Eucharist. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Lord, I long to see your presence in reality, but I don't know how. You got to call them. And, and the, and the Catholic (laughs) church would say the real presence of Jesus is there every time we celebrate the mass. And, uh, you know, you talk about, well, you know, he's a Pentecostal. I've had a few of my friends, think that it's unimaginable that a Pentecostal would ever want to go into the quote unquote dead Catholic church. In fact, one of our dear friends who we've known since maybe three or four years since we've been married was part of a church with us in California, lived here in Virginia, found out we were becoming Catholic. And she said, all I ever experienced in the Catholic church is death, death, death. That was what she shared with us when we said we were becoming Catholic, like it was her warning to us. And I thought, boy, I just haven't experienced that. Um, uh, I, I don't know why that is. I can't account for it. But as a, you know, as a Pentecostal, it, you know, I talk to people that it's, it's like a horseshoe. Pentecostal is as close to Catholic as one end of the horseshoe is to the other. It's not far away, like, like lines in polarity. They're very close. There's an openness to the things of the spirit uh, in, in Pentecostalism that are, these things are fulfilled or filled up to the full in a Catholic, in the Catholic experience. The fullness is there. I mean, to the point where we say, because it's true, that we eat and drink the body and blood of the real Jesus, the real presence of Jesus, and that he really does come and visit his people. And his people really do um, go, in, as it were, into the heavenly places 
with him. And it's just, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. That's what we always wanted. <laughs> there it is. It is. So, it what, is. so you didn't storm the, the barn doors of the Catholic church right away. You had that idea of, of you wanted to, I mean, what held you back? What, what finally tipped you over? Yeah, there's a lot of things that hold you back. I think, uh, you know, there's there's a few things. One, relational things. We yeah. we are friends with lots of people. We pastored for 20 years. We had hundreds of, of folks that were part of our church in California. Dear, some of our dearest friends in the world, family members in ministry, uh, all of that. And so prob- probably some of the push that we felt was, well, we, we got to be careful here because people are watching us, you know, people are watching our lives. And even though we're not their pastor anymore, we, we still have influence on them. So we wanted to be careful, um, even though after we made the decision, some people still thought we were, we were crazy, but, but we, we wanted to be careful. So that was the relational things was, was the first, you know, thing that kind of made us pump the brakes. The second was, I really wanted to be, you know, careful about what I was getting myself into theologically. Remember, I mean, I, like I said, I was told from the time I was 17 years old by everybody I respected that the Catholic church was bad and even be, you know, learned how to parrot these anti-Catholic ideas in sermons and teaching. So I had to, in a sense, I had to go back and deconstruct my anti-Catholicism and, and then I had to let the Catholic church come in to that empty place that I had filled in with anti-Catholicism for so many years, I had to let them, the, you know, the Catholic church come in and reverse engineer all that with its own language on its own terms, with its own way of talking about things and just be a listener. And I had 13 or 14 doctrinal issues that I just had to sort through uh, before I could come to grips with it all. I think, though, the thing that pushed me over the edge and, you know, all of the answering all these questions helped. Um, but the thing that was like the how do we want to say it? It was either somebody cut the, the brake line <laughs> so I couldn't stop or push the gas pedal. So I went faster. Either one works. But um, was the question of authority, the question of authority. And for almost my, my whole Christian life, almost. The Bible was the authority, which isn't to say that the scriptures aren't authoritative in the Catholic Church. They are. But everybody has the Bible, right? Everybody has access to the Bible. But then there's this question, who says what the Bible is and who says what it means when there's a dispute? And in history... Um, you know, in my history, it was, well, whoever has the best exegesis wins the war, you know? And so there's, you know, there's Bible interpretation wars that you get into. If you've ever been to a Bible, um, a scholarly Bible conference, it's, it's that kind of thing. Everybody's, um, the flex is always your, your exegesis and your, and your hermeneutics and who you quote. Um, but in the Catholic church, it's the charism, the spiritual gift of teacher, of authority, of interpreter, uh, resides in the church. Um, And specifically in the magisterium, the teaching office of the church, the bishops in communion with the Bishop of Rome. Well, that's a whole paradigm that I hadn't ever seen before. 
But as I looked at how the the Church of Jesus sorted through its uh, um, disputes in history, especially with the big heresies, right? Um, going all the way back to Gnosticism and Arianism and all the early stuff, it was always the authority of the church deciding. Everybody has their Bibles open. Everyone's position is dripping with biblical verses. Everyone's argument is robust, you know, with with theological methodologies. <laughs> Who's right, you know? And I I kept seeing over and over and over again that it was the church, the Catholic church, that would settle these disputes and would move the church away from heresy and into orthodoxy. And so kind of early in my journey, I, I took the position that I wasn't ever going to get all my questions answered, you know, in the first couple of years. So I had to take a position of standing under, this is a terminology that I embrace for myself, I would stand under the authority of the church until I understand what the church teaches and what the church means by what it teaches. And just reorienting myself to the church. Because when I was a Protestant evangelical, I was like, I've got my Bible and I'll decide for myself. And that just isn't how Christians ever did it, (laughs) where they moved together in unity, you know, in church history. Um, So that, you know, that issue of authority, who says, um, that one, I would say, was the the major um, turning point for me when I settled that, that the church is the one with authority. You know, First Timothy, um, the church of God, which is the household of God, the pillar and support of the truth. And uh, if you'd asked me what the pillar and support of the truth was, you just like walk up to me on the street. Hey, Kenny, what's the pillar and support of the truth? Before I started this journey, I'd say, well, the Bible, Uh, the Bible says it's the church. (laughs) What? Yeah, it actually does. So yeah, that, that's for me, the the question of authority was where I, I, I gave up, you know, Uh, the angel of the Lord won the wrestling match and I lost, you know, <laughs> you're in good company there. Well, that's the thing too. I mean, that's such an insightful thing that you realize there. And I think a lot of us come to that point. I had a uh, Mark Galley, who is the editor of Christianity today on this program, yep. who recently yep. became Catholic as well after like, like 20 years at the magazine. Right. Pretty, pretty right. huge conversion story. And he yeah. said the same thing. He said, you know what? I didn't really have things figured out. I realized the Catholic Church was the authority based on looking at history and based on looking at how Christians did it down through the ages. And I realized that once I have that figured out, well, the rest, if I admit that, then whatever else the church teaches must be authoritatively taught. And so you kind of lean into the church once you figure out that first thing to get you through the doorway, right? And I mean, I've, I've heard this too. The way we looked for churches as evangelicals, right, is a biblical church, right? So you probably right. started these churches as well, right? And, and that, totally. we say biblical church based on our interpretation of the Bible, right? So we find the exactly. church. As, as a Catholic, like the, 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 the huge paradigm shift there is we're looking for the, the church of the Bible instead, right. right? The historic church that we see begun in the Bible and then carried on through time, 
Yes. Where's that church versus which church looks the most like my reading of the Bible, right? The, the, exactly. the Catholic church is a church found through history. Like it's a different approach to finding that church. But I mean, once you find it and admit that it is what it is, you, you submit to that, right? You stand under it. Like you said, I, I love that. Yeah. That you stand it. under until you understand. And, you know, in my, and, you know, in Catholic ecclesiology, the church is not just an institution. It is an institution, but it's also a living thing. It's, it's a, it's, it is the bride. It's the living body of Christ. And, and you, you realize when you, you, you kind of step back and you look at the church, the Catholic church, you're staring up at this living 2000 year old organism, this bride who remembers everything she's ever been through. She has her entire collective memory intact. She hasn't forgotten a thing. She hasn't forgotten her virtues or her vices, her sins or her holiness. She hasn't for forgotten the, the, you know, the doctrinal disputes she's been through. She can remember every conversation. And that kind of church was not something that I was used to you know, as a Protestant, uh, I was a little, who's the pastor? Where did he go to seminary? What do you teach here? Let me see your doctrinal statement. Catholic Church presents herself to us as the 2,000-year-old body of Jesus in the world with the authority to act on his behalf and, in a sense, as his presence in the world and has always been here. And, you know, you come into contact with a church like that, it's like, uh, I need to listen, you know. <laughs> and that's part of why, as I, as I said earlier, I felt that we should listen to the Catholic Church on her own terms yeah. and not just, you know, it, it's so easy to find anti-Catholic literature or anti-Catholic friends or anti-Catholic YouTube channels or whatever. I wanted to hear the church speak for herself and I fell in love, you know, with, with the Catholic church. And it's not something I ever thought would happen. My wife and I laugh constantly. If you had told us 10 years ago, we'd be living in Virginia beach. We would be Catholics, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, any of the things that we're doing right now. I mean, we, we would have said you're crazy, yeah. but God, you know, God is, God is good. And, you know, there might be there might be people listening here, you know, watching this here and maybe Pentecostals, uh, people who are part of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, charismatics, you know, all that. Listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I would say even this video is, in a sense, part of the prompting of the Holy Spirit to to look more deeply into things that you may have dismissed before because you thought you had to like we did. Right. <laughs> Amen. I, 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 we don't have a lot of time left here. I, I don't want to go. I mean, we, we could go on for hours. I mean, we really could. And I, you have to have True. you back again for, for more of this because I'm sure That'd there are great. tons of misconceptions that you had that began to. I mean, we could we could do a show just on on those misconceptions. I think and unpacking each, yeah. each one of those. I'd be curious to know to, to hear that you've you've you are now Catholic. You and your wife and your son. The sacramental life for me was something that I had no idea about as a Pentecostal. I, if you had said to me, oh, the sacraments, I would have said, what? And in fact, I had a friend early on in my, in my journey. I had one really good yeah. friend who I was wrestling through these things with, and we read some of the same kind of books together and got to a point where he said, you know what? I, the, the church seems compelling, but I couldn't, I couldn't do a sacramental faith. I just couldn't do it. And I said, mm -hmm. what's a sacrament? Like, that's where I was. And <laughs> now that I'm in 
the Catholic Church. And I should say, too, some of this is just living it out. Some of this you have to actually right. live it and experience it. But now that I'm Catholic and understand the sacraments, I mean, that has exploded my faith, even my charismatic Pentecostal faith. Like, I mean, it's such a, right. it's, it's such a, I, I went to confession once with this very charismatic priest uh, from Ghana and it was a revival me- meeting there oh, in man. the confessional. It was like, you know, it, it Maybe was more we've been to the same guy. I think we may have. <laughs> it was incredible. Right. And I left, I left the confessional and I said, to the, there's a couple of people in line. And I said, guys, I don't know who's in there, but like brace yourselves. It's fantastic. Right. And, right. The the movement of the spirit in through the sacraments is yeah. for me. And again, I said this too on the show. I want to go on. I want to let you have a chance to talk here. But you you the nice thing about being Catholic is I don't have to feel everything all the time. Right? I can go to mass and not have the feelings I used to feel like I had to have as a as a Pentecostal, and know that God's grace is still working in the sacraments because we believe that right. as Catholics. But right. And that's okay, but the yes. but when you feel the grace working, also it's it's amazing. It's a whole. I couldn't I couldn't go back now. <laughs> what do you? No. What is your take on on the sacraments? Because that's such a different way of yeah. of experiencing the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you? I think you know. You talk about things that pulled me into the church, and one of the things I, I didn't talk about, and maybe we, we we can another time too. But the sacraments are. You know, as as Catholics, they are the means of grace. That's how that's how we talk about them. They're the things that open our lives up to God's grace in tangible ways, in ways that really grip us, really take hold of us, and shape our lives. Um, they're not dead dead rituals. They're the means by which God touches us and and comes to be with us. Very powerful. So so communion. You know, obviously, as we we talk about it as the source and summit of our faith, that Vatican II language, um, uh, communion or the Eucharist is the central sacramental aspect of, of what it means to be Catholic. And that's just because um, you're, you're in communion with Jesus and with his church, his heaven and earth church, all at the same time. It is a, it's a binding, bonding kind of, of event that, that unites us all together with Jesus um, but the other sacraments do that too in different ways. So like the sacrament of reconciliation, uh, I told an, an Anglican uh, priest friend of mine, dear friend, who was actually part of our journey of discernment into the Catholic Church. He and I spoke a lot about things, and he said, "Well, what, what's the draw?" And we talked about all these things, and I said, "You know, one of the other draws for me is the confessional." And we were sitting there having coffee in a little Italian cafe down the street from where I live. And he said, the confessional. <laughs> I said, the confessional. And I started crying, you know, while I'm, while I'm sitting there having coffee. And he said, yeah. right, there it is. <laughs> There's the tears. Why? I said, you know, I, when I sin, I, I, in the best way that I know how, I run to the Lord. I kneel down on, my, you know, my, my knees next to my bed. Or if I'm driving, I say, oh, God, I, I'm sorry. I sinned against you. I, I, like, I, I, I've learned how to, to do all of that. But I said, I, I believe that God is able to, to address my sinfulness and my brokenness, maybe in a way that I haven't ever been open to before. And I think maybe the confessional might be 
one of the ways that he, he wants to show me even more. Uh, and I, and the first time I went to, to confession, you know, before I came into full communion, I, I really embraced this Catholic idea, uh, this Catholic language that we use, that the voice of Jesus is hidden. That's the word. The voice of Jesus is hidden in the voice of the priest. So when the priest says, I absolve you, you know, when the priest can, uh, 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 says those words of absolution and that encouragement about forgiveness, in my Pentecostal brain, I hear my, you know, uh, my pastor's voice, but I also hear the voice of Jesus in his voice because he has yielded his voice to Jesus in a sacramental way through the sacrament of holy orders by being a priest. So all these sacraments are all overlapping so that there can be more Jesus, not less Jesus. And before I thought, oh, sacraments are a crutch. No, sacraments are more Jesus, not less Jesus. The Eucharist is more presence of God, not less. Having a priest who has taken the sacrament of holy orders is more Jesus. I mean, you can't get more Jesus than in persona Christi, right? In the person of Christ. Confession is, and, and the sacrament of reconciliation is about more Jesus in that pursuit of his grace and his mercy and his peace and his forgiveness and his encouragement to me. So, you know, for me, yeah, the sacraments, the sacramental life, it falls under the heading. If I had to write, if I had to write a paper on the sacraments, it would be more Jesus, yeah. not less. <laughs> more Jesus, not less. The fullness yeah. of, of Jesus. That's a good way of putting so it. So the sacraments drew me. That was part of what drew me into uh, full communion with the Catholic Church, for sure. Yeah, because sure. how many times, Kenny, have we, as 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 Protestant Christians, longed to, as we're kneeling at bedside or driving the car? long to hear Jesus say, Hey, I forgive you. Right. We, we, right. we, we felt it, but, yeah. but how many times would we have longed to hear that? And, and gosh, you know, this, that the transformational power of, of believing that that priest is, is speaking, is yielding. I love that yielding his voice. I love that expression. Yes. Yielding yes. his voice to Christ. That is yes. gosh, so powerful to know that that, yes. those words, I forgive you, that priest, and again, this is our this is the the Catholic misconception we have, right? I always thought the priest was forgiving sins. Well, he is forgiving sins, but he's not forgiving. Christ is forgiving those sins. The priest is yielding his power. It's biblical, Kenny. It comes right from the Bible, it. right? When Christ well, gives hey, the apostles the power. I, just just think of this little phrase in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. This is a, fra- a phrase that that Christians use. Every day. Well, when my priest, my pastor, who has received the sacrament of holy orders, is sitting there with me while I'm crying and telling him my sins, and he holds up his hands uh, in front of me and pronounces those words of absolution, he's doing that. Now, they use a Latin phrase, in persona Christi, in the person of Christ. But that's exactly what in the name of Jesus means. As Jesus, as I say, I hear the voice of Jesus hidden in the voice of my pastor, 
uh, or any Catholic priest, because I've, I've gone to several. Uh, uh, and it's one of the things I like to do when I go visit a church or, go, you know, go visit a cathedral or something like, hey, let me go to confession while I'm here. It's a great and I've, I've, I'll tell you, I've heard the voice of Jesus hidden in the voice of many uh, godly Catholic priests. And it's one of the most wonderful things about being a Catholic. And um, I, like you said, I can never go back. It's, yeah. it's the door that swings one way and it doesn't, you know, there's no, there's no going back. And I wouldn't want to go back. Yeah. I wouldn't want yeah. to. I don't know what gets more, what gets more charismatic than some of these, some of these sacraments and, and those experiences. I mean, yeah. Amen to that. Oh man. Kenny, I could talk to you forever. This is maybe part one of, of a multi-part series because there's so much more to unpack here. Sure. Um, so we'll have you back for sure. Where do you want to point listeners towards though, to read more, to, to, to see more, to hear more of you? Cause they're going to want to in, in droves, I'm sure explore more about you in the meantime to wet the appetite, keep them suspended until our next conversation. Where should they well, go to find out more? Sure. I mean, there's, there's a few things. If, if you have, um, show notes, you're welcome to put a link to my, to my, um, my YouTube video where I share just before we came into the Catholic church, uh, with all of our family and friends, that may be a, you know, a good way to kind of hear more of the story, a little more detail there. I, I do, as you said in the intro there, I do some blogging, uh, with a, a website called thinktheology.org. It's a group of guys that um, a lot of them have a vineyard background, which I also had for a while. And I had a lot more material there before I was Catholic, but some of it wasn't Catholic. Some of it wasn't in sync with my Catholic faith. And so I pulled some of that content back, but there's still quite a lot there. Uh, thinktheology.org. And I've just started blogging. Um, and started my own site. I'm not sure where it's where it's headed, but there's some content at kennyburchard.com. People can go there. Some of my think theology content has been pulled over. And I and I'm just trying to kind of get out there, but I have been, you know, for the last couple of years I've been a Catholic, I've thought, well, I don't want to do too much talking because I'm still learning. Yeah. Um, but but as you know, as I become more comfortable sharing my faith, uh, my Catholic faith, um, I'll put more stuff out there. But th- those are three places, the YouTube video, uh, thinktheology.org. Um, and uh, I have, you know, quite a few articles there. And then kennyburchard.com. There's, there's a few things there. Too. People can email me from there too. If they wanted to shoot me an email, there's a little contact page there. So. And it works. I found you. It works. That's how we got. That's how we got connected. You're that's right. fantastic. I'll put links to all those, uh, all that stuff in the show notes too for listeners and viewers to find. Sure. Oh gosh, I could keep you here forever, but uh, we'll 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 talk again because there's so much to unpack here. Sure. And uh, I let me give you one final maybe minute here or so because I'm I feel so compelled to I mean, where I'm in sync with you all along this journey here and mm-hmm. I don't know how we can express more deeply the 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 movement of the Holy Spirit that we both felt the draw into the Catholic Church mm-hmm. final final words from you to that to the viewer the listener and I have lots of them I get all piles of emails from people just who are like us who say look I'm being drawn into the church <laughs> what do I do do you have words for that listener who's just like peeking over the edge and going, 
is this like yeah this i I think these guys were crazy isn't this babylon like what are we (laughs) what are we doing what do you think you know yeah, I would say a few things. Um, yeah, a couple of things. One is I would say step back and take a look around you. Most people, especially in, in the United States, some places more than others, are surrounded by Catholicism, whether they know it or not. It's part of the it's part of the air that we breathe. There's Catholic churches everywhere. There's Catholic stuff everywhere. Streets, neighborhoods, cities, towns, lakes, states named after Catholic saints. You know, Step back and look around you that the fingerprints of the Catholic church are, are everywhere. And maybe think about your own life. And are there, are there fingerprints on you? you know, are there things where the Catholic church has contacted you, touched you, uh, crossed your path and think about those things. And then maybe go and and watch and participate and uh, think about the way that the Catholic Church is doing things in her on her own turf by going to a mass or going to a local Catholic Bible study um, or, or just go walk around inside of a Catholic Church and look around at the thought, and the intentionality that's gone behind everything that's there. And then definitely get a copy of the Catechism of the Catholic Church and just start reading it. Just start reading that. Um, It's a Jesus book all the way from from top to bottom and front to back. And listen to, if you're a Pentecostal and you're charismatic or somebody that's open to the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the voice of the Holy Spirit, listen to what God is saying, right? How could you get more biblical than that? Let him who has ears to hear, hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church, right? And, and if you're a Christian, you can hear God's voice. And just listen, listen. And, and, and when you hear God say something, do what he says. Do what he says. That's a starting place. Oh, Kenny, we will talk again. <laughs> we have to. This is fantastic. I sure hope so. I want to say God bless you. God bless the work you're doing and have done for the church all these years. Thank you for being here so much, Kenny. And we will we will certainly talk again. Thanks, Keith. It's been an, an awesome pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Well, guys, what did I tell you? Hopefully that was not oversold. I don't think so in the least. Amazing conversation. Electric conversation with Kenny Burchard. I hope you enjoyed that. Please let me know. Reach out, cordswithcatholic at gmail.com. I love hearing from all of you. I get back to emails as soon as I can. Takes a while sometimes. I get a lot, but I will write back to you. Please let me know what you thought of that conversation. Check the show notes for links to Kenny's website as well and to read more of the stuff that he is doing too. TheCordialCatholic.com is our website. We're at CordialCatholic on Twitter, on Instagram, TheCordialCatholic on Facebook, and YouTube.com slash TheCordialCatholic to watch episodes like this one and many, many more. Patreon.com slash CordialCatholic or PayPal.me slash CordialCatholic to support this show 
financially. It's such a huge blessing to receive support, to be able to do this thing every single week, guys, and bring these kinds of conversations. So thank you to those who are already supporting the show, and please do consider prayerfully supporting this show. Hey, if you can't do that, leave a rating and a review if you can on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Follow us on Spotify. All those things really help to increase the profile of the show and to push it out to new people. So please consider following, subscribing, leaving a rating and a review if you can. Guys, thank you for listening. Know that I am praying for you. Please pray for me and I'll talk to you again next week. Thank you so much, guys. Whew, I love it. God bless. This podcast is brought to you in a special way by our co-producers, Gina, Aram, Suzanne, Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, and Stephen. Thanks for your support of the show. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordial A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.